Welcome to the Marshall Proof Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, Discount Tire, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. It is Monday afternoon. We're going to be doing a live Twitter spaces here in about 51 minutes with my man, Chris Wheeler. So I had better get to these questions very quickly assembled by our friend, our pal, Jerry Sudduth, kind enough to do that. Pick the ones he thought would go best for the show. Everybody getting ready for Nashville coming up here in a couple days. I will indeed not be in Nashville. I'll be north. Spent most of the day on the phone with drivers, owners, you name it. They've all been jealous to hear that I will be in Road America covering IMSA, giving IMSA some love. So I will be watching every session at Nashville uh, while in good old Elkhart Lake. But yes, indeed, uh, getting ready to travel here. And then we'll be staying over, have the second Indianapolis Grand Prix coming up, the old Brickyard weekend, and who knows. Uh, Lots of stuff coming, but looking forward to all of it. Why don't we once again say a big thanks to y'all for the great questions you've sent in. And also today, July 31st, it would be birthday, I believe, 45th of one of my dear friends and our dear friends, the late big man himself, Justin Wilson. So uh, in a, a nod to the big man, our pal Jerry Sudduth, didn't send along a joke, something ha-ha for us to kick off the show. He sent along a great quote Justin offered after getting Dale Coyne, his very first win as a team owner after decades of trying, being one of the smaller kind of uh, uprising teams, rarely equipped with the tools or the driver to get it done. Justin getting that first win for Dale Coyne at Watkins Glen. Jerry was kind enough to share that quote where the big man said, it's fantastic to get Dale's first win and also Gail, Gail Coyne. So the two of them put a lot of heart and soul into this. We all do. Means a lot to me to get Dale's first win. So if you are the praying type or just sending good vibes into the universe type, um, that is a friend of ours who gave us plenty of great memories. Also one of the truly sweetest human beings ever made and one of my closest dearest friends so miss him constantly and here we are again with yet another reason to talk about how much we love the big man so got a question to close this show about justin so why don't we lead things off though with who's on pole position that would be our pal mitsuki matsura says do you think we'll see the crash fill uh, 3.0 this weekend Will it be third time lucky and drivers will behave themselves on track? They said, how risky would it be for young drivers to make their IndyCar appearance on a part-time basis and doing that at Nashville? Uh, speaking about our pal Linus Lindqvist here, confirmed by Meyershank Racing. We'll be stepping in and subbing for another friend of ours, Simon Pagano. Said that Linus will be evaluated this weekend on his performance Will it be a proper evaluation, though? Is this the right track for a young driver, rookie driver, to do their first race and get a proper read? Say, will that happen? Will he be able to get a fair shake? Or could he go down the same path as, say, an Oliver Askew, another potential mega talent who deserves so much better than the opportunities he had? 
Boy, that's a great opening question, Mitsuki. Thank you, as always. Very thoughtful. Whatever you send in, very, very thoughtful. Had a feeling this was happening. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Kind of knew it was happening, but had the same thought of, oh, boy, you got to have some stones on you (laughs) to be an IndyCar rookie. Making your debut at Nashville in light of how destructive the first event and the second events happened to be. Guess we could go back just a couple weeks ago to Toronto. Tom Blomqvist making his IndyCar debut on the streets of Toronto. Not as crash bangy, explodey, kerblamo esque as we've seen at Nashville, but still a pretty big risk. And indeed, through zero fault of his own, taken out lap one, turn one by someone being uh, overly ambitious to, I don't know, do what. That's my only fear here, Mitsuki, for Linus. Keep in mind, this kid won the race last year in Indy Lights. Wasn't the same 18 or 19 car field that we have now, but still it was, what, 12, 13, 14 cars? It's a pretty deep field. The field size is what's important here because when you have that many cars, you have that much varying talent or aptitude on the day and the potential for folks to make mistakes, whether it's a passing attempt that was never on, if they're being lapped to go the wrong way or send the wrong signals and you get caught up there. For absolute certain sure, uh, we can say that Linus presented with opportunities last year to do things wrong did them all the right way and so that's what i'm leaning on here for this kind of crazy debut at nashville in indycar simon last year i believe qualified 13th finished ninth i think it was elio i don't think had as strong a qualifying but finished somewhere not too far behind so historically we can say that If we go back one year at least, Linus did super well as our cats Rocky and Rosie get into a fight with Rocky biting Rosie. Hey, dude, don't do that. Um, Sorry, uh, genuine. Got a cat fight breaking out behind me, but uh, Rosie has held the ground. She's got the uh, nice, comfy place on top of the blanket on top of the crate, and Rocky, (laughs) who might be slightly bigger than her, but, uh, oh, uh, she's got extra doses of of ass whooping in her uh sent him on his way uh he's in the less comfortable sleeping spot now anyways all that stuff aside look back one year linus did well there the meyer shank racing team did well there move forward this year and we can say that at least the andretti team that provides the really solid engineering direction for meyer shank racing they have been fairly spectacular on street courses know that not all of the results have been rewarding of that but they've been quick whether it's polls or just contending obviously kyle kirkwood winning at long beach having romain groshaw finish second again i expect the meyershank racing cars to have solid potential for sure this weekend and if that's the case if linus can qualify well although we're talking about getting his first look at Firestone's stickier alternate tires, tends to trip up rookies a bit. If he can get some good data, good feeling for them on Friday during practice, 
able to qualify well, get himself out of the back of the field, closer to mid-pack, that's where confidence just starts to go upwards, Mitsuki, on how he might do. If he is dealing with the same kind of, again, familiar things for a rookie, street course, first ever experience on those alternate tires and getting the most out of them and qualifying, which, again, pretty rough expectation for that to be the case. If he's starting 20th, 23rd, 25th, whatever, it's that where I almost say, all right, son, (laughs) come to the green, lap one. Uh, You just lift off the throttle. Let everybody fire into turn one and be their own bowling balls. And your competitive spirit's going to say, go fire down the inside and try and pass 10 cars at once. But we're using yeah past examples here. Let others be the bowling ball. You be the one who weaves through the carnage and goes from wherever you started to five to 10 spots better on lap two. I'm exaggerating, but only a little bit. Uh, that's if he's starting towards the back. I'm saying be smart because getting to the checkered flag will be a victory and you'll probably be in a way better position than you started. If he's a little bit closer to the front, again, I'm still thinking don't do anything crazy. Plus, he might be around some drivers. How crazy has qualifying been this year, by the way, where you go, oh, championship contender going to be up. Oh, you're starting 12th. Oh, you're 15th. Oh, you're. What are the likelihood that some of those who are contending for the championship might be starting somewhere around Linus, wherever he is? Uh, There's probably going to be that instruction as well. Hey, (laughs) welcome. Happy to see you, Indy Lights champ. Long overdue. You belong here. By the way, we got five races to go. And there are some folks probably around you or who you might come across during the race where you go, it'd be a nice little feather in your cap to say, I passed high caliber championship contender A, B, or C. Don't do anything that risks their season. Don't be the guy trying to be a hero in a one-off race. Um who ends up shaping the championship in a very different manner because of your over-exuberance. Just to close here, and then you have the exact opposite, which is a kid who unexpectedly has a chance to show the world he's as good as we think he is based on dominating Indy Lights last year. And so if you're him, you of course want to do what you're instructed to by the team. Wherever he qualifies is going to give him a fairly significant and specific set of instructions on how to approach things in the opening phase of the race. But he's also probably not going to be inclined to say, okay, I'll just cruise for a while. He wants to get in, show Roger Penske, Michael Andretti, Chip Ganassi, Ed Carpenter, Mike Shank, Jim Meyer, run down the list. You need to hire me. Do you do that by having a somewhat underwhelming day and kind of weaving through the carnage to come home ninth or 12th or whatever it is without having made a visual impact? That's where this is tough. That's where this goes beyond just Nashville. Last thing you can do is make a visual impact by impacting other drivers and hard objects known as walls or slightly softer tire barriers. 
the kind of visual impacts he needs to make is chasing whomever across the bridge and firing down the inside and taking that position and not one of the you know slower wounded animals who rarely finishes in strong positions but someone where you go whoa hey <laughs> uh we know the Meyershank racing team hasn't been brilliant this year but that kid just put on a couple passes that stood out and hey all right uh, this is someone hey we we thought he was good he just showed us that's a heck of a lot to balance right so that's we're gonna close here on that but that's where what this kid is being asked to do it's not impossible but it is such <laughs> such a, a bit of a, a mind cluster bleep where he can't give up because that won't impress anybody that'll have the grid saying all right well you know decent finish and you inherited a lot of positions he can't be overly aggressive and place championship contenders or whomever at risk can't put the thing in the wall there's so many things that he can't do shouldn't do but he also needs to make sure folks remember him and are talking about him with excitement after the race not that he survived but look at what he achieved even if he finishes 17th but he was stuck back there with name a couple of really impressive and dry impressive drivers and he battled with them and took a couple positions off of them i don't know if it's so much a case of linus must finish in position x to get future opportunities with meyer shank ray hall name some of the other teams who are looking to hire new drivers next year i think he just needs to show that he can be smart but also let folks who didn't know or who wanted to see that visual evidence that all right this kid's a badass we know he's a badass can he manage all of these things in one weekend i boy i'm so excited that i'm going to road america for imsa but knowing that this kid's making his debut uh, uh there's part of me that's like man i just want to be there to see it because i think he's going to do an amazing job uh, our pal jj gertler interesting note he says i was in nashville a week ago and didn't see any promotions billboards hotel promotions anything about the race he says that seemed weird but how much of a, a street race turnout is walk-up or impulse sales as opposed to the advanced ticket sales you tend to get at say the permanent tracks uh, it's a great question jj obviously a long beach grand prix with 45 almost 50 years of provenance and experience it's going to be a, a different approach than i mean toronto as well they've been around for what 30 ish years 40 i don't know long time different than one going into its third event i know one thing that stood out uh, and have had this raised by a couple of folks the start time for the race is pretty early i think 11 ish a.m uh local maybe 12 eastern and if that's uh you know start of the ceremonies and it goes green at you know again don't hold me to the exact time but i know anecdotally i've been told it's a pretty early start and while that at i think many other tracks would not be an issue i've had a couple folks say yeah but nashville downtown like what do folks think of they don't think of friday nights they think of saturday nights and going out and tying one on and uh rocking and partying and going nuts 
Do a lot of those folks think about getting up early enough for an 11 a.m. or whatever it is uh, street race? I don't know. Would folks who look forward to closing down the bars Saturday night slash Sunday morning be inclined to then roll out of bed on four, three, whatever many hours of sleep? I don't know. That's the question. So don't know where the ticket sales are at. Tried speaking with the promoters. I think as I mentioned last week, uh, more than once, they're disinclined to do that, knowing that they have an announcement of an extension coming up here and a date shift. So I don't have a feel for where they're at on sales. Obviously, I hope the place is going to be sold out. So having not been there, JJ, I can't tell you what the rest of the area looks like in terms of billboards, hotel promotions, and otherwise. Can't tell you if everything ramped up super hard this week to try and build that walk-up crowd compared to advance sales thing, but I have been told be on the lookout that for locals who are accustomed to spending their Saturday nights on Broadway into their Sunday mornings on Broadway, this newer, earlier start time, there's a lot of racing going on on Sunday, keep in mind, with NBC, got that IMSA race that I mentioned and more. Um... I just hope that start time doesn't impact uh, crowd size. So, yeah. But again, for some of the other long-standing events, I'm sure there's walk-up, but I would say that there's also a lot of folks who've built traditions since they've probably been going there since mom took them or dad took them or whatever uh, decades ago, and this is now something they plan around annually. I would hope those who are there in 2021 and 2022 have fallen into that routine and are buying in advance. But I also think it's still in the honeymoon phase. And hopefully there are plenty of folks who decide to uh, walk up, take a look, and love what they see. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, you're asking about this Thursday press conference for this extension being announced and the date shift being announced with Nashville say, do we expect a layout to be announced for 2024 uh, at that press event? I have no clue. Uh, I've been getting the daily uh, emails from them about all kinds of stuff. I'm just clicking over to my email here. It's asking me to confirm that I am who I is. And let me see, got another one today at 9.03 a.m. Uh, Pit Stop Challenge returns to Big Machine, Music City, Grand Prix, Fan Fest on Broadway. And there's all kinds of other stuff going on. And yeah, a lot of those previous emails, uh, they've asked to keep all this stuff private, not talk about it, uh, do not publish. So yeah, anyways, um, I couldn't tell you. Having to revert back to the, uh, they ain't exactly talking. So I don't know if we're going to see a layout announced. Famous last words, but it feels like it might be a little premature to do that because in theory, you need to go in front of the mayor and board of supervisors and all that stuff and propose such a thing, have that signed off because it is a 100% municipal thing where lots of folks from city works and water and this and that all have to agree on, we're going to shut this down and close that off. And I feel like we would have heard about that uh, going through and again, potentially being approved. So famous last words, who knows? Maybe uh, they will have done that in top secret and we've, or I've been oblivious to it. 
or maybe they'll show some potential renderings of where they'd like to. And maybe instead of a bridge, we'll have like a Hot Wheel loop-de-loop that they go through. I don't know, but yeah, seems unlikely. But again, whenever I say that, famous last words and the exact opposite happens. Uh, all right, we got Rocky back sleeping next to Rose and he's snoring and she's got her back turned to him. So uh, just a little update on cat fights behind us uh let me take a sip of coffee here which i shouldn't be drinking at 4 29 p.m hopefully i'm speaking fast enough where folks don't have to hit the 1.25 or 1.5 or 2.0 or whatever uh to speed the episode up but who knows um michael steenblick how are you appreciate you firing in questions plenty and often here recently michael you say mp two weeks in a row uh if you're reading this says i'm concerned about simon pagina could this be a career-ending kind of accident like we saw with dario say hope all is well uh texted with simon today no news to report because i don't ask folks like simon who i've known for a long time um you know to say things or share private things um that he hasn't said himself i don't know where this lingering concussion-like uh, symptom scenario i don't know where this is at um obviously this is taking longer than anyone expected well it's probably a bit of an obvious statement but i don't know if that's been said enough not only has this taken or is this taking longer michael than we anticipated in a very general sense but maybe this is actually also leading us to reevaluate how nasty that accident was so again maybe that's an obvious statement you watch it and he barrel rolled six times however many right it's crazy violent uh car broke down in all the places it was supposed to break to diminish uh the impact reduce energy the car did just what it was supposed to do with the head surround the cockpit and as much padding that's used there's very limited side to side movement allowed but there's still an i mean even if his head was locked fully in place that the gray matter his brain itself is still something that obviously get rattled around inside its skull so this is this is one of those reminders to me at least and maybe everyone else has already in, been there uh, and i'm just late to the party but this is just another reminder of all the safety systems on the car did everything they should uh, it wasn't so much a hard forward type crash the car didn't go in nose first and then cause big stress and forward movement of his head until the hans device restraints stopped his helmet this was again basically just side so it wasn't a lot of movement of his head he climbed from the car under his own power and walked not only under his own power but on what gravel uh, non-solid ground right this wasn't just grass and dirt and everything was perfectly firm this is him having to walk through 
kitty litter there and a lot of it and yet i didn't see him stumble at any point in time i didn't see anything that said equilibrium is off it was a shock in an impressive way of violence of the crash we all saw that but then he got out of the car and walked again basically like just normal quite a distance to the safety vehicle that then took him to the infield care center. Just a huge, huge reminder that there can be things that happen that belie and contradict anything we would expect. Like, you go, wait a minute. That severe of a crash, you walk away, and you walk perfectly to the car. We would have thought if you had serious concussion slash concussion symptoms that there'd be some unsteadiness something but none of that was visible and so with all that known was still able to go about his business get to infield care center be released do an interview where he was you know looked like he'd been through something hardcore but he was lucid then you just realize that this doesn't have to be a knockout punch for it to be wickedly bad and ongoing. So had a number of friends who've had bad concussions, multiple bad concussions say, you know, think about Dale Earnhardt Jr. and what he went through. Think about wasn't it Michael Waltrip who went through something similar. I could be getting that wrong, but Dario's another one where he had so many uh, the, the message was, it's not a case of whether you're going to recover from this one at Houston. It's, we think if you have any more, like, it could be fatal. This is just that uncomfortable place, Michael, where did any of us think after seeing the crash, him walking away, him speaking to us afterwards, did any of us think at the time, well, okay, that's terrible, and if he misses Toronto right after, you know, okay, you know, had a little bit of a gap. Um, but if we think about, okay, this, this big crash happened, uh, what, beginning of July, basically. And you've got a week, two weeks until Toronto, we'll see, you know, did we expect him to be back there? Yeah, but if we learned that he wasn't, I don't think that would have stood out as a shock to anybody and indeed wasn't cleared. Okay, not a lot of time until Iowa, but hey, it's another week or so. And okay, still not there. Not, again, the fact that wasn't ready for Toronto after a decent amount of, quote, recovery time, him having not even a full week, until the next race uh, really got active. Okay, well, if I was not happening, then okay. The recommendation by IndyCar to not participate in this weekend's race, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing how it was written, but that, as I seem to recall, is how it was expressed by the team. Um, that, I do think, might have landed as a bit of a surprise and a surprise in the sense that all right we're we're 
by the time we're rolling here at Nashville, it will have been slightly over one month. And that's the part that I don't think was anticipated whatsoever based on the visuals of him getting out of the car and walking to the emergency vehicle at Mid-Ohio. Uh, yeah, as they, uh, they wrote here in the press release, uh, while he continues to improve, he has been advised by the IndyCar medical team to not participate in this weekend's event. If I were to interpret that, they didn't say was not cleared, which seems like something they would continue to use since they've used that previously, but maybe that's just knowing that we've seen a lot of crashes at Nashville and maybe this wouldn't be the place to return, knowing that a crash there could really set you back. But regardless, I just hope this reaffirms that, boy, every visual indicator here might not be the thing that actually leads us towards uh, any kind of educated uh, guess as to where a driver is at. So do I think this could be career-ending? Not that I've heard. I've, I've heard nothing to suggest career-ending. Um would obviously hope that once we're done this weekend, we'll hear he will be making a return uh, at the Indy GP, the Brickyard Weekend, place that he has done extremely well in the past. And I'm having to parse what was and wasn't written in the team's press release today. Um, I like the idea of seeing our guy back in a week and a half or so's time to get uh, rolling again. Uh, let's see, Matthew Fetterman, you say, just saw Pagano still out from the concussion. Curious on your thoughts in relation to Oliver Askew. Say the kid really should be in IndyCar, but I feel that his concussion issues skewed opinions of him. Yeah, I, I, at the time, without a doubt, Matthew, uh, you got to trust someone in order to invest in them. I don't think anyone had a negative opinion of Oliver for not feeling right, but also just wanting to press ahead. I know that there were questions of what is IndyCar's protocol? Did you miss this? How, how is this guy racing? If he's admitting somewhat later that, yeah, he wasn't right. Um, what about the team? And, you know, there's a lot of questions, many of the questions ill-formed or undeserved. But I think that there were questions for sure at the time. I can't think of any of those questions from back then actually still being around today in relation to Oliver and team's interest in him. I think the overarching thing, Matthew is clearly the kid is super talented is there enough to draw from in his what did he do i don't even know the number 18 20 indycar races let me just look it up so i can get the correct number but i think the issue we're talking about here is one of sample size there are a lot of indycar seats available Many of them 
more than usual, happen to be of the paying variety. It's awesome. Um, even so, bit of an issue where I don't know if we got to see the kid put up enough work to lead folks to say, oh my goodness, gotta have him. I think the the lingering things from his rookie season with Errol McLaren, SP as it was called in 2020, was one where he put in some really good results. Iowa, if I remember, I think he was on the podium there. Strong there, strong-ish on the ovals. Didn't have a bunch of great road course results. I don't know if the team as a whole had like insane results everywhere that year. I think, you know, I don't want to misspeak here, but uh, I know for sure that Oliver was was outperformed uh, on a pretty decent basis by Pato, who had a little bit more experience, but not a crazy amount. But you think about what Pato did, right? Was able to be on the podium, what, three, four times? I think finished fourth or fifth in the championship. I apologize, not remembering it exactly, but... In this abbreviated, abbreviated, weird COVID year, like Pato performed. Pato was the breakout star of 2020. Colton was the year before. In 2020, Pato was the guy. And I think for Oliver, factoring in the crash, having to uh, take a bit of a pause there, um... I think the overall thing is, yes, we believe this kid has a lot of talent and a lot of potential, but have we seen enough to make us decide that we're going to commit a full-season paying opportunity to him? That's where I feel bad for the kid. Jettisoned after one year at Aero McLaren SP, Obviously stood in the following year and did well at uh, Elkhart Road America for Ed Carpenter. Uh, I think finished 12th or something like that. Got a shot towards the end of the year with Ray Holderman Lanigan when they were looking to expand to three cars in 2022. So they had Santino. Santino was really impressive. Oliver did really well to finish like ninth at Laguna Seca, I believe, but other races were kind of not awesome, not necessarily all of his making, but that to me is the answer. He should be considered for sure as a talent that a team 100% needs to consider. It's just a, a market saturation question, Matthew, where you go, okay, got Alex Pelot, got Marcus Erickson, have Felix Rosenqvist, we have David Malukas, who else do we have? Uh, potentially have Callum Eilat. Um Boy, I apologize. My brain's farting just a little bit here, but let me look through the, the rest of the drivers real quick to look at true free agents and, and who could be available. That would have a realist, you know, there's some folks are going to be free agents where you go, okay, uh, you're staying where you are. Nobody's really chasing after you. Um Ferrucci's a free agent. Marcus Armstrong is a free agent. I don't think Graham Rahal is going anywhere, but he, again, would be classified as a free agent. Romain Groschon, yada, 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 yada. Connor Daly. 
um, where does a guy who hasn't been able to show uh, factor among them? Probably not in the top five. And I hate that for him because I think if he were able to climb into a somewhat decent car a couple times before the end of the season, I'm confident he'd be able to show folks that, yep, sign me up. Going solely on what folks last saw in a part-time thing with Ed Carpenter and Ray Hall two years ago, that's where teams are always going to err towards the ones that they know and can see and have most recent drives in front of them to base their input on. Uh, Daniel Ferris, Marshall, what has been your favorite silly season driver or owner story so far this year? You say all the best to your wife and cats. Well, I'm currently trying to button up a silly season update here, Daniel. So I'll let you answer that based on what you read. Um, I can tell you that I'm thankful I've spent so much time on the phone today because I was of the understanding that two things were two key things were happening almost done deals and yeah <laughs> i've had uh had some awareness brought to me that oh hey man glad you didn't put that sucker in print because uh yeah uh, that would have been wrong and things that have you know been developing very quickly here so ask this one after we get through the silly season then I'll be able to answer because who knows there might be more coming that's even crazier but uh yeah my head's spinning with this stuff Daniel I genuinely just look forward to the silly season being over so we can get back to talking about what is not what might be or wasn't um Andrew Miller is Dale Coyne Racing likely to take a flyer on another Indy NXT kid with a full budget next year will they go another route you ask, is the Rick Ware Racing tie-up still set to continue? Uh, I don't know. Uh, do need to catch up with the team here on the RWR side. I would think they will have a NXT kid with a full budget to offer uh, and will probably have a younger veteran next to that driver who, within the last couple of years, came out of NXT slash Indie Lights. So... Yeah, this has been a rough year for them. Obviously, Malukas has done well, you know, 50% of the time and then been nowhere the other 50%. Uh, we can, I mean, Davey's made a couple mistakes, of course, but uh, Malukas has really stood out as like, wow, this kid's really good. And so when they're having an off weekend, I think the assumption among other teams is like, well, it ain't him. Then you look at <clears throat> the sister car there. Uh, where RWR is associated, and it's just been brutal. Uh, so, yeah, um, they need to have a very good close to the season with Stingray Rob and that 51 car, because while I've heard that they've already got someone signed to it, um, I think the team is in the unenviable position of needing to demonstrate <clears throat> they can operate that car uh, at a high level with fewer mistakes where you can say whatever the result was today was strictly based on the driver not liabilities on pit lane or otherwise so 
I have no doubt there's going to be a lot of folks fighting over seats to be there because there aren't a ton of paying opportunities to pay a team to run you an IndyCar. I just, I know that coming out of Iowa, yeah, there might be some valid concerns as to what are you getting for your money. So hoping for the team's sake, that 51 RWR co-entry just has a smooth run for the rest of the season. No mistakes and Stingray as well can have a clean run. And I don't know if there are any real options for him to stay in IndyCar, but at least end the season feeling okay and maybe building a little bit of buzz for wherever else he might end up next year. Uh, Uh, pale blue dot 24. This is an interesting question. And I have called and asked a couple folks and I have a response that I think answers your question, but this one was like, Ooh, uh, you say, how would miles Rowe winning the Indy NXT scholarship impact the force Indy relationship next season? So will they still appear on the car if he's driving the USF Pro 2000 championship livery? Or does that open force Indy to possibly support a new young driver in USF 2000 or juniors? Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, hey, if Miles wins USF Pro 2000 championship, Anderson Promotions who are no longer involved in Indy NXT and Cooper tires. One of the great longstanding partners of our show and supplier of tires to the Anderson promotions, USF championships. Um, I forget what the exact number is, but it's what 635. It's some big number more, (laughs) more than last year's Indy lights champion got as an advancement prize. It's a big number to take the Anderson promotions, Cooper tires presented by USF pro 2000 champ to get them up into what is now known as Indy NXT. So you bet there would be expectation for that promotion to be on miles car or whomever. Um, I would say if Roger Penske, who funds the Force Indy program, decided that they did not want that branding on their car, then I'm guessing uh, Anderson Promotions would say, thanks for the rebate. Maybe we'll pass that on to whomever finished second. But the idea of someone taking Anderson Promotions money and not doing what that money is meant to do, help the kid get to the next level, and promote where they came from to show that the latter works and they're doing their job. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that would fly granted Roger who funds force Indy certainly doesn't need other people's money to run his entries. So that would be an interesting one. The other question of, well, what if a force Indy Indy NXT driver wins the championship knowing that Roger owns Indy NXT and owns the entry or funds the entry that would win the NXT championship and therefore, in theory, have that scholarship fund to take from NXT to IndyCar, would that payout 
air quote payout actually happen knowing that well we're talking miles who i believe might be i don't know if he's under contract but i know penske has you know plans for him if he keeps winning a lot of kids are fighting to get that championship advancement prize and if the kid getting it is the one who drives a car funded by the series owner who plans on taking him upwards into indycar already and using his own money is that just a a, a rebate or money not spent right there's no actual promotion money being spent but actual well this is just part of the budget that we used to run you in indycar anyways um would that money go to the kid who finishes second who isn't funded by roger penske in the series that he owns i I doubt it so yeah that to me is the the trickier one to try and figure out here but if miles ends up winning and that money is taken uh, i do absolutely believe that money would go provided the promotions on the car happen like we see this year with louis foster at andretti autosport louis having won usf pro 2000 championship last year um so yeah there you go we're getting down to the last couple of questions here before we say farewell uh tom nardone tom great to get a question from you you're asking uh do you have stats on who the most crash prone drivers are i don't uh not things that i keep You say, I don't care exactly how it's presented. Crashes per start, DNFs per start, crashes per session, but I'd love to see all the drivers compared. Well, I would too. That's a ton of work, Tom. (laughs) It's it's one of those things where it's like, well, I want stats that's going to take someone a week of their life to compile for free. Um, So yeah, not something I keep, brother. Uh, Our friend Scott Richards, who does helps with stats. I don't know if he has such things, if he's listening and happens to have it. Uh, Go forth, young man. But if not, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can fund that uh, research expedition. Uh, Kurt Pose, you say your midseason reviews mentioned qualifying woes for many teams. Have any drivers or staff blamed the race weekend format for this issue? You say only getting the uh, alternates in the opening practice session rather than when the track has evolved by free practice too seems like it could be bad well i hear you I, I also note that while some teams are having serious qualifying problems and therefore their race weekends tend to be bad plenty of teams who have good qualifyings um and their weekends go well so they too only get to see those alternates and free practice ones so i don't know if i'd put that there but yeah uh there's been a greater emphasis than we've ever seen on qualifying performance and uh that's a pretty big deal and so the the way things were laid out by indycar i know that i found very few teams that loved it when they went to this expanded 75 minute instead of 45 minute 75 minute long opening practice session the enticement to get teams to run was okay well we'll give you an extra set of tires but those tires are alternates and you can only use them in free practice one no longer use them in the session right before qualifying um again would everybody prefer to just have free practice one be 75 minutes long and get an extra set of primaries and then still have that chance to run alternates in free practice two 
an hour or two or whatever it is before qualifying, that's what everybody would love. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. So yeah, I wouldn't put it down to that. Cause like I said, uh, you know, if we're talking 27 full-time entries, um, it's not exactly half, obviously, but 12 of those cars transfer through in the fast 12 and tend to do pretty darn good. So yeah, um, not what I would point to as the specific problem. Uh, Mark Cardella, you say, looking back at Iowa, I miss the days of mechanical attrition. Say the drama and excitement of a leader breaking down when way out front of the, or the perennial backmarker scoring a top 10 just by surviving. You say, this is the price of cost reductions. I hear you. At the same time, we look back to the cart days, the last time when we had a lot of mechanical attrition. Um, You'd still have gearbox failures for sure, way more than we have now, but most teams had migrated towards a similar gearbox solution. Um, Engines changed every year right? Usually there was some sort of, it's a new block, new this, could be new everything, but engines were constantly evolving in big ways. So that's where you got most of your attrition. Um, Engines are pretty heavily regulated now, but that's still a place where evolution happens. I think the, the main issue here, Mark, is in the one area, for example, the engines where both Chevy and Honda are making improvements every year. They've also been running them for a really long time. I think it's the duration. And I realize that cost reduction and the price of that, as you mentioned, a lot of it's going spec. So yes, indeed. Um, tend to get more failures when something's new, give them a couple years and folks are going to figure out the solutions and everything will be okay. Um, that indeed has happened. So I'm with you. But even down to electrical systems, right? Like, you know, a lot of teams used very similar electronics back in the day. Not everybody, but uh, they're pretty common vendors uh, among the manufacturers. Used to have a lot of things shorting out and grinding to a halt and whatnot. But can't argue the fact that you take a field of 20-plus cars, most of them running more or less the same things year after year, And within a short amount of time, you're going to find the problems, fix them, and no longer be a major reliability issue. Let's start to ramp down here with our pal Steve Bonick. MP, hope you and the family are well, and hello to Rosie and Rocky. Yeah, well, great episode to say hello to those knuckleheads. Say so, tech inspection. I think it's cool to watch. It got me thinking, how often do cars have to go through tech? And is it a different game at some races? Say also, what is the purpose of doing an impound race like Iowa? Believe there's a requirement for the cars to go through prior to first practice. I believe prior to qualifying, and I think prior to the race. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, I had to hit pause here in the recording, and it's definitely we're into evening now, and my brain is shut off. Uh, yeah, multiple times. Plus, if there's any significant setup changes done, particular ride height, uh, like significant ride height changes. Um, any major componentry changes, right? Had to change, had to change the motor for whatever reason, or again, something where you go, could the car have settled slightly differently than it did before? Could body work be lower than it should be? Could anything be out of compliance? Team will say, Hey, we want to roll through tech. 
make sure that we're all clear there. And if not, just keep in mind, it's if we're talking post tech, right? Coming out of an important thing like qualifying of the race, tech inspectors are obviously looking and hoping for everything to be in balance and happy and compliant, but they're also there to highlight anything that isn't and then penalties and who knows what happens from there prior to sessions the the pre part of tech inspection you can have just as many if not more things fail but the hope and goal is anything that might not be exactly perfect you're going through there because you want them to be able to tell you even if on your setup pad everything looked great was perfect etc it doesn't matter it's what theirs happens to say or if you've changed ballast in the car or who knows what want to make sure that you're at the correct minimum weight Uh, you'll go across and you're effectively saying please check the car we hope you tell me everything's awesome but if there are any areas to correct that's really why we're coming through and so if everything's great we'll breeze right through if there's something that can be tweaked super quickly we'll do it or it's going to take a little bit more time we don't want to hold up a line if there is a line and we'll have to roll back through but The first approach is the help us to make sure what we think is good is good. And if not, tell us what isn't. We'll get right after it. There was a little bit of a a challenge with the 55 Benjamin Peterson car going into qualifying at Iowa where multiple things were off. And yeah, in that pre-qualifying check, uh, enough things were wrong to where the series felt like, you know what? No. Uh, you're not just you're not going to get to qualify but by and large there's the preventative part which takes place prior to and then again after the race that's where you're on the hook so teams do use it as a a bit of a go no go of their own to make sure that they're good Uh, as for uh, what is the purpose of doing an impound race very much a case of IndyCar having an expedited weekend I was the only calendar like it I believe, unless I'm forgetting another impound event where, yeah, you need to go through, be good, clear on the way out, and then can't touch anything. And it's just, again, to expedite the schedule, uh, knowing that there's a lot of work going on, a lot of hours going on, and also trying to take some of that burden off of teams. So that's what I understand there. Uh, Thomas Gross asking about what can be done to help the racing product at street circuits. Well, uh, that comes from a angle, Thomas, that suggests the quality of the street races has been poor. I wouldn't agree with that. I would say that while we certainly saw way too many crashes at St. Pete, quality racing to me did not suffer. Uh, similar at Long Beach. Detroit, don't know if the track lent itself to awesome racing. Alex Plo ran away and hid, so that was a bit of a unicorn there. But we did see a lot of dicey stuff going on throughout the event there. Toronto, um, I found plenty of it to be interesting. But anyways, you obviously didn't. So you say, maybe a pessimist, but I'm afraid this weekend will be another wreck fest. Should IndyCar begin to have qualifying and only allow the top 20 to race? Are there any other ideas that may be helpful? Again, that's coming from a vantage point that there's something wrong and something needs to be fixed. I don't see that, Thomas. 
as for just randomly filtering out the seven slowest cars this weekend um i mean we could uh what if joseph newgarden cuts a tire somehow and doesn't make it through the opening round and ends up starting 24th is a guy who could be on pole should he be filtered out of the race Uh, a championship contender sitting p2 in the standings because again through no fault of his own cut tire engine problem fuel problem again who knows just saying if we're going to try and do a quality control here i don't know if you could only use qualifying positions for that because as we've seen man there can be some really random things that make zero sense but are leading some folks to have bad days in qualifying so i look at the circuits themselves go all right so long beach wasn't a big old wreck fest okay so what would make a tighter track or one with more wide open spaces to go charging into a corner invite more contact do we need to think about some of that so i don't know if we need to so much bark at drivers or look to strip some out um i just do think that there are some tracks that we know for sure uh produce more contact than others and yes without a doubt street races can indeed put up some pretty big crashiness but i can't think of anything that makes me think we need to uh affect the drivers or come up with qualifying restrictions i think the the point needs to be driven home by the teams and the series even more that hi we know (laughs) this is an and you go down an alley here you might get mugged more than any other track we go to so be smart in how you go down that alley and do not walk with twenty dollar bills hanging hanging out of your pocket like just everybody has the same opportunity to crash or not crash be one of the not crashers and don't hit other people uh where do we go rip through a couple other quick ones here at racing storky any news on an international indycar race for 2024 2025 no different than what i've written a couple months ago about argentina possibly being a post-season destination after the 2024 season is concluded uh mato cory and i believe you told me how to correctly pronounce your name and i've forgotten how and failed so i apologize say mp thought of this in one of alexander rossi's onboards tobacco is not allowed to be advertised but why is a nicotine wielding brand velo allowed to be plastered on his car because it's not actual tobacco just weird uh, it's still not good for you very true if the things that aren't good for you were taken off of cars we would have that uh mountain dew uh any alcohol like you know if we were going on the things not good for you yes we would indeed probably be removing a number of things uh some of the crypto related stuff um you know so i don't know if that's the route to go here but yeah uh vape related things uh non-exact tobacco uh content bit of a loophole here and what is and isn't allowed so as we've seen throughout motor racing since sponsorship really joined this sport in the mid to late 60s it's the areas where you can get stuff across to the masses where maybe you couldn't in other forms of sport or advertising 
that tends to come through. So zero surprise. If anything, surprise, we haven't seen more. And, you know, we go back in the day just a little bit and what Graham Rahal had blue, B-L-U, wasn't it? Um, which was some sort of vape, something or other. And I think there might have been another one that I'm forgetting. So, yeah, uh, exceptions to the rule uh, tend to be the ones that find their way into motor racing because, yeah, uh, you're probably not going to see that popping up on NFL jerseys or otherwise. Uh, Todd Murray, deeper question here late in the show. Apologize, should have gotten to this one a little bit sooner. Say, why are old tires so much slower than new? Also say from a first principle standpoint, there's the same amount of rubber on the road with an old tire as new, right? Say, does the chemistry of the rubber change that much within a single heat cycle? Does the carcass temperature fluctuate that much more with a reduced thermal capacitance with less rubber? Oh, brother. This is usually the point where folks hit stop on the show. So I'll try and do this one quickly, Todd, and in a way that invites everybody. Yes. So if we're talking about rubber being on the track, transferred from the tires into the track surface and waiting for the tires to roll over it, and provide grip right back kind of the one side of velcro to the other correct that does indeed uh, stay on the track why do high mileage tires or call it old tires as you've mentioned here why are they slower than new you tend to get to a point where yes chemically they're no longer as grippy i'm just trying to think of easier ways to put this no longer as grippy as they were when they were new um if you look at it's not necessarily have we shaved a lot of rubber off and we're down to the cords and that's why we have less grip right we can see tires that aren't necessarily excessively worn meaning not a lot of rubber has been taken off of the surface that are indeed slower as you mentioned the ability for them to maintain peak grip, that's really the difference we're talking about in IndyCar and the Firestones with the primary and alternate tires. It's really the design differences between the two of what you're referring to here. Hey, the the alternates, and I'm talking in generalisms, boy, it's going to give you immense peak grip and often very early once we get heat into them within the first lap or two, whatever. They're going to give you higher peak grip right away, but for a shorter duration. And so in qualifying, you're going to need to go attack right away to get the peak performance out of them because you have finite amount of time before you reach a temperature where chemically things change and they are not providing as much grip. You think about a race scenario heading out on those same alternate tires. It's, hmm... We want that absolute performance advantage from them, but if we attack these tires as hard as we did in qualifying, they are indeed going to be almost useless within five minutes, but we need them to last a half hour or however long the stint's going to be. So you see the drivers getting that increased performance from them, but without attacking them as hard, building as much heat right away and really starting that clock on them losing their ability to adhere uh, as quickly as can be. It's more of a, hey, be nice to them. Don't 
heat them up crazy fast and maintain that high peak loading and peak temperature be smart with how you use them don't try and spin them up lock them up etc because they're going to die and you're going to have to live with absolute suboptimal grip for a really long time and give up a lot of positions so yeah it's not just it's not really specific to we've worn a bunch of rubber off the tire and that's why it's slower it's chemically there's a peak amount of grip they're going to give and then that tapers off and if you think about the primary tires they're not designed to have that big peak and then drop off they're meant to be good not as good as the alternates but better over a much longer range before they start to taper off so yeah you nailed it uh where else do we go here before we say farewell jordan darwin you threw in a couple of questions here long one about marcus erickson i'll skip that just because we're uh, at the end of the show uh but you got two here uh we'll go with one say mp who should we keep an eye on these last five races as possibly being in their final full-time hurrah on indycar jack harvey harvey devlin de francesco and elio are on my short list with question marks on felix rosenqvist benjamin peterson takuma sato and a few others so hopefully you get sato and elio back for at least indy i think that's certainly possible for those two i think elio being back with Meyershank racing for the 500 should if he wants to i know he doesn't want to stop racing uh, much less stop indycar but assuming that's what he wants to do and with them uh yeah that should be easy takuma i gotta believe he's gonna get a call from someone wanting him to do the same who might be closing out their indycar careers um and again it's not the question isn't who's retiring period but who might be heading into their final indycar races without a doubt uh you've you've highlighted a couple um jack harvey i'm concerned for jack some folks have mentioned hey i I bet meyershank racing would love to reunite with him I don't know if I would put a lot of stock in that, and that's not said as a critical thing against Jack. Just that some folks tell me, oh, yeah, for sure. And when I've asked, I haven't heard the same thing. Uh, Elio, for sure, unless a team that isn't Meyer Shank Racing wants to offer him full time, I haven't heard of another team. But again, depending on where we get into in the silly season, how late we get into it, what's still open. Um, you know anything's possible but jack i'm concerned about full-time coming back elio i don't expect to have him full-time coming back you mentioned felix i expect him to be well paid full-time for many years uh roma for sure i'm concerned about if he's not hired by andretti i can't think of any similar team that has mentioned his name as someone they want to go after either now as a free agent or if he were indeed free and looking for a new home um could another team that's below and ready mclaren ganassi penske etc consider possibly just saying i haven't heard that 
could just be a case of my ignorance, right? There could be other teams that have reached out. I just haven't heard it. I think I've mentioned this before. If he's not staying at Andretti, the main thing that concerns me about Roma and potentially not continuing full-time or at all in IndyCar is he's known to command a very significant salary. If it's not an Andretti and it's not one of those other bigger teams with a pretty stout budget to offer, I don't know of how many others would be able to meet his retainer. That is, of course, unless he would decide to match his salary to one of those midfield or rearward teams. So not saying it's impossible, just concerned for sure. Uh, and after that, I think, I think, you know, new garden might be done. I don't know if he's, he's done enough to keep kidding, kidding. Um, I think Devlin will find a home, right? Uh, feel like somewhere else. think he might have a, a decent, chapter second chapter in indycar um concerned for stingray i don't see any path at the moment for him to continue in indycar even with his current team uh benjamin peterson he's on a multi-year deal so i don't foresee that uh, i guess the other one again it's a concern and i wish i didn't have it is our pal simon pagino uh out of contract at the end of the year really does need to get back into the car asap and put up some good results to have the Meyer Shank team say, yep, want to extend you. If he has a good close to the season and they don't extend him, could I see another team being interested? Potentially. Potentially. Would he be interested in them? Meaning, is it a team that's finishing multiple positions behind Meyer Shank racing on a regular basis? If so... There would be a salary attached to it, but I don't know if that fires up a guy like Simon. Simon has to believe he has the potential of something significant in front of him. May not be achieved for whatever reason, but you go from believing you're fighting for something, have a potential to fight for something, and then go to, man, I'm just kind of spitting into the wind here. Like, uh, there's no hope. At most races, that's hard for a champion and Indy 500 winner to get up for that. So I got to admit here, Jordan, there, there's more drivers who I'm concerned about this being their final full season than not. Um, Romain, hugely popular. Lose him. I worry about how many folks who are following because of him might lose interest in following. Uh, scroll down. Elio's been the standard bearer for Brazilians on his own for a little while now. We had Tony Kanaan, obviously, but you know, really, if we're looking at Brazilians in the field, who to root for race by race, Elio's been the guy. Um no, Ed Carpenter's not full-time. I hope things turn around for him. I haven't heard him say he wants to retire, but it's been brutal this year. I hope for him that things get better. Um, 
there's a potential. A lot of the names that are comfortable to us, some who are our favorites or we've rooted for in the past, mean a lot to folks, whether it's internationally or regionally or whatever. So pretty strong potential here to go, yeah, that's not one or two, but four, five. I don't know. Um, yeah, interesting times for sure. I mentioned here, Jordan, as well, you're going to close the show for us. He said, today, Justin Wilson would have turned 45. Any good stories to share, MP, from your six-foot-four tall friend? Say, I appreciated the 100 days to Indy, spending some time on both Steph and Justin. Yeah, same here. Let's see. I have a letter on the wall that, that stares back at me not a Justin letter. It's a letter from Julia Wilson and their daughters, which is private. I probably shouldn't have mentioned it. I don't know. Maybe I feel like I mentioned it before, but it's just a really beautiful letter that they sent a couple of years ago. Total surprise, along with one of his helmets, which I keep. It's the only driver's helmet that I have. And just, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't mean to turn this sad. I'm just, you asked, so I'll, I'll share. I'll, I'll, I'll share the, you said good stories. I, I interpret good to mean positive. Uh, but remember late friend and colleague Robin Miller talking about growing up in an era where death was just a weekly thing in IndyCar, short track racing, and he had a number of driver friends some of them who he idolized, some of them who were super close and had that throughout his career, uh, even until, again, his final days, newer generation, modern generation, lots of friends. I can probably say the same thing. A lot of drivers who I'm very close with. There are certain losses, though, that change something in you, and Robin spoke to me about that on occasion as well. Not the, I don't ever want to get close to a driver again because it hurt losing one of my dear friends, but just uh, you have to never forget that that is possible. And that comes to mind with Justin all the time, where he was legitimately one of my closest human being friends, (laughs) not driver friends, not work friends or industry, just person, human being loved that guy with everything you could love. And so the memory, the good stories to share, probably the ones Jordan, where I might not, or I don't remember the exact details of it, but there were so many evening or late night conversations the big man and I would have about whatever. Um, and <laughs> Julia would, you know, she'd tell me like, you know, we'd be like laying there in bed watching TV or whatever else. And your st- stupid name would pop up on his phone. And I'd be like, great. <laughs> Just lost my husband for the next half hour, whatever it is. But like, you know, it, it just be, or he'd ring me or whatever, but it's just that brother where I'm 
stupid fortunate to do what I do and continue working in this world of motor racing that I've been in since I was a kid. My dad was just a amateur racer and going to the track when I was, you know, five, six years old and whatever, and getting to start working in it when I was about 16 as a, a young mechanic. And you know, there's been times where I've dipped out for a little while, whatever, but this has been my home for a super long time. And so working with drivers and team owners and this, that, like, that's just been my life. And the super blessing part of it is a lot of these folks become friends because yes, technically they have a job title that says this, and I technically have a job title that says that, but in so many instances, Jordan, there's no like separation. Oh, you're on that that side of the fence in this sport. I will therefore treat you as such. It's just we're racers. And I love the fact that I get to interview and interact with the Justin Wilsons of the world. And those are fun and easy and sometimes amusing or lighthearted interactions. And it's not because trying to make them that way. It's just that's what it is turn the camera on, turn the camera off. It's no different. And so that's just been a really beautiful gift that I've been able to receive throughout my life. It just also makes the like, man, you know, I love this driver, right? Uh, There's an IndyCar driver that I speak with once a week, at least, if not more. Often about racing, but not always about racing. And there's another one that I speak to on a similar frequency and sometimes about racing, sometimes not. And, 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 and that's the challenge. And so Justin's the like constant reminder to me of like, man, this is the worst thing possible for drivers, spouse, children, family, when they're killed and for their friends my sorrow is a thousand grades lower than any of justin's real family but the the thing and this is kind of back to the miller comment we're like love these people enjoy them they're the best want to just have the all the laughs we can we can but never forget they could be gone tomorrow and in various ways miller shared that and said that you know uh, over and over again and that's the thing that is back there in my head but it's also something I, I fight against and challenge myself to go no you know sorry I don't mean to turn this into a sad close to the show but you know our cats are getting older loved them I mean they're so much a huge part of our lives also hasn't been lost on me that rocky's 12 now he's slowing down a little bit not as much running around and playing and right i don't know how much more time we have with him it it saddens me to no end to think that i won't have that little guy forever but can't start living like oh my god i'm afraid he might be gone and i need to treat him different and no Just love him keep doing the same thing and deal with whatever happens when it happens don't start mentally checking out and putting up little safeguards so it doesn't hurt as much and maybe that's way over explaining things 
Jordan, and I apologize if that wasn't the exact thing you were hoping for, but it's what came to mind of, man, I loved all of those call anytime big man's name popping up on my phone, uh, me calling him whenever to talk about whatever, and it just being a beautifully fun thing. I mean, <laughs> he's still in my phone, right? <laughs> Despite living in Denver or outskirts of Denver for a long time, still having that stupid 317 area <laughs> phone number, right? Uh, my phone, I'm always uh, running on the edge of my phone, like shutting down because whatever the capacity is of its little hard drive i'm always like within three kilobytes of of max storage and one of the easy things to do is delete old messages right it's one of the the options that pops up while looking at your iphones my iphone storage and it's like here it is. Auto delete old conversations. Save up to 57.91 gigabytes. Automatically removes all your messages and attachments that were sent or received over one year ago. I don't look through them that often, but I could probably use that 57.91 gigabytes, Jordan, but I don't and will never use that option. Because everything the big man sent, right? My way, photos, videos, whatever, vice versa. Like, I don't ever want to lose that. So, yeah, that's part of, of like loving someone, right? No matter who they are, especially if you lose them. Uh, want to hold on to the things that were good grieve through the things that are a loss do your best to to manage them as time goes on and the big man is is certainly an ever-present reminder um and by choice right want to remember want to remember the love you know the there's sorrow there too but that's that's just part of that story uh for all of his closest friends uh myself and you know geez an awful lot of people who knew him maybe or just got to meet him once like i saw him in an airport uh we were at the track and he was walking out of the bathroom and i asked him if he could sign something and he was so gracious but slightly embarrassed because i caught him walking out of the bathroom and he wasn't prepared and he might have still been drying his hands and uh anyway you know you go like he's one of us like he wasn't this guy's an alien in terms of talent but just to be that beautiful blend jordan of talent beyond recognition <laughs> none of us mortals in the majority of the folks he raced against against possess the amount of talent that he had and yet he was the ultimate brother father next door neighbor type where you would think he was just put on this earth to be kind and gracious and to make you feel special I mean, how many drivers who we marvel at can we attach those attributes to? 
uh, it's, oh my God, you're the best, but you're kind of awkward. Or yeah, the, I asked and for an autograph and they blew me off or pretending like they didn't see me or name a thousand other things that makes you feel small. Thankfully, there are some exceptions. Um, Scott McLaughlin, our friend Chrissy Perdana was telling me how at Iowa, the driver's autograph thing, like it wrapped, but there was still a line. And instead of saying, okay, thanks, and getting up, I, from what I understand, everyone else did, uh, he went down the line. I saw a video of it where he went down the line. Not necessarily everybody in that line was there for him, but for all the folks who were remaining, he walked down the line and signed there whatever it was that they brought. And you go like, no wonder we'd love Scott McLaughlin, right? This would be overtime, by the way. We're just kind of riffing. If you shut off by now, I apologize, but you wouldn't hear it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But like that, Scott McLaughlin. Now, again, has he signed everything at every point in time? There may have been situations where he was unable to, had something he had to run. To. Again, I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, the spirit of a Justin Wilson is a thousand percent alive in a guy like Scott McLaughlin, who's driving for, right, best team, one of the two best teams. Guy's a race winner and a badass championship contender, making money, living his life. It just has the world by the balls. Doesn't necessarily need you, right? He's got everything. And yet you go, hey, guess what? No, this guy's got the full spirit of Justin. We're like, no, I, I could leave right now like everyone else. And folks would go, okay, he, that's just what they do. And instead, what does he do? Uh, says, no, you came here. Maybe not everybody in the line is for me, but I at least want to walk through and ask if I can sign something, pose for a photo, whatever it is, I am here for you because you're here for me. Like, love that guy. Uh, proud to have him in the series. And so, yeah, Justin just stands out in that way, brother. And man, do I miss him. But echoing what many will say so thankful to have had him in my life and i've had a lot of memories with him had a lot of fun so many laughs uh the trust as well 98 percent of what we discussed was a thousand percent off the record some of these things big picture too how to approach free agency what do you think i got this option or i'm having this problem or that and just you know, uh, I just think of a friend, just a dear friend who I wish was still with us. So thank y'all for tuning in. Appreciate you as well. Thank you to our partners who support all that we do. And look forward to speaking to you here mighty soon. <laughs>